Welcome to the Supported Living Property Podcast with your host, me, Lisa Brown, the place to learn about supported living property investing. In this episode, Richard Nichols discusses his experience of viewing and valuing thousands of HMOs, many with supported living tenants in situ. He openly talks about some examples of poorly maintained properties and how he feels investors are often unaware of what they're entering into by signing a supported living lease. He offers some great advice on due diligence with practical things you can implement. If you're thinking of letting a property to a supported living provider, this is an essential listen. Hi, Richard. It's great to have you here today. Thank you for joining us. How are you? I'm very well, Lisa. How are you? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm good. Thank you. Um, For people who don't know you, do you want to introduce yourself and tell people a bit about you? Yeah. So Richard from the Property Advantage. Um, We are specialist HMO sales brokers, uh, we cover nationally. Um, probably this year, I'll visit maybe 750 HMOs across the country, top to bottom, sort of literally south coast of Scotland. Um, Travelling around then. Yeah, and I like to visit 99% myself um, and will probably value a couple of thousand HMOs. So the main day job is being that person going up and down the country, visiting HMOs in, in every single area, which has kind of got us to the point of talking about supported living because more and more I'm seeing these HMOs with, with leases in place or with landlords considering putting leases in or being sold at the end of the term. So you see the kind of started to filter through. So yeah, that's the day job, the property advantage. Um, and it takes me in yeah, hundreds of HMOs a year. <laughs> Quite boringly. <laughs> I, I guess for people listening, if they're not quite sure what an HMO is, we have to kind of go right back to basics, Richard, and just explain what is an HMO. Yeah, so it's um, shared shared living, essentially. Uh, it's a house shared to individuals uh, on separate tenancies normally. It can include student, professional, uh, working tenants, non-working. Uh, but it's, it's essentially a, it's a house shared property uh, where they share amenities. Um, nowadays, that can encompass five people sharing one bathroom very very basic or it can go right up to a different level of standard where they've got kitchenettes and ensuite bathrooms and they're almost self-contained accommodation but um yeah the the hmo uh, that we talk about is, is really shared amenities um with multiple people living in living in the same dwelling um so it suits yeah there's almost every tenant type you can imagine across across the country would either at some point live in them or need to live in them yeah uh, so yeah, that's yeah. that's HMOs. Perfect, thank you. And so you were saying you're seeing more and more, and and the time you've been in the sector, you're you're actually saying you're seeing an increasing number of ones with leases in situ that or that are coming through your books, um, and they're supported living orientated. What what's your been your experience of those? What what's that been like? Well, there is a few angles to to approach that from. So there's um, there's people that understand catering a product to supported living and they almost you know the, the the dog is controlling its own tail type thing and it's a very sort of straightforward process where properties are being created that suits a particular supported living provider in mind and it's a quite a quite a succinct process there's also uh, a portion of landlords that are being promised a kind of guaranteed rent stress-free hands-off uh you don't have to sort of look after the property you know avoid uh, you know, maybe even greater net income as well, because a lot of providers pay their own running costs. So there's almost a new wave of this is what the rent to rent letters were doing five years ago. 
we'll take your headaches off you. Now there's a lot of people saying, we'll put a lease in place and take your headaches off you. Um, so there's, there's, there's all of that cropping up, which when you've got a gold rush, that, that it's gone from sort of zero to a hundred very quickly, you're going to get 50% good and bad in that situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you talking about the, the landlords or are you talking about the organisations leasing? Both. Yeah, yeah, both. Yeah, yeah both. Um, and then I see uh, a, a lot of people from a developer's perspective trying to, because they hear about the leases. So there's, again, quite a, uh, you can go down any tangent on this answer, but a lot of people approach me and say, look, I've got a, I'm developing a seven-bedroom property in such and such an area if i put a lease in place i'm going to be able to get six percent you know sale price yield sale price because people have heard that the funds are picking up properties with leases in place people have heard about you know properties exchanging hands for for ridiculous amounts of money that we've talked about previously so they think that it's almost you know a guaranteed way of making extreme profits on property by attaching a lease and then therefore it naturally just increases the value Mm. Uh, and again well actually probably 90% of the time that isn't the case Uh, so uh, a lot a lot of crisscrosses are coming across my desk with supported living from mainly from those three angles really that's interesting Uh, and I I know one of the reasons that I I reached out to you about doing this podcast was about an experience you'd had I think you'd posted about on social media about visiting a property that was I think in very poor condition that had a supported living lease in situ is that something you're seeing quite a lot is that a rare occurrence is that you know what's your experience of that well I think um it's it it happens more than people think if the properties just get left to their own devices because you know we've all got businesses, and if there's a section of the business that isn't being managed properly, at some point you're just going to walk into an issue in that section of the business. And mm. the same with uh, if you put five in, in this particular property, there was uh, well actually it was a portfolio, so there was uh, about six properties with the same problem, which is quite a big issue. Mm. Um, and you walk into the first property, and there's I think it was a five bed HMO sharing one bathroom, all ex offenders. Um, which is which is great that the houses you know, they, you know, they need somewhere to go they need that rehabilitation but the landlord hadn't been to that property for five years at least it had been in place and the charity that were supposed to be managing that property hadn't gone in very often I could tell I got show I was shown in by the maintenance guy and he was leapt on for maintenance repair requests for this and we're talking mold up the walls you know there's blood on the you know they're uh, you know, each nearly every single door was at some point had been kicked in the footprints of it was beyond threadbare carpets mm. every single tenant was uh smoking in their rooms you know constantly yeah. and you know smoking weed and cigarette it, it you know it was a vile vile property mm. so you know the responsibility is probably on the, the company side of the lease and providing the care mm. uh yeah, the support living provider, whoever it was at the time. I know who it was, but I wouldn't say who it was. But um, but also the landlord's got a responsibility for allowing, you know, if you if you buy an asset, whether or not someone offers you, you know, guaranteed rent or a stress-free situation, you've got to have a structure in place to go back and check on these properties and actually have somebody managing the person that's in there um, as an external, you know, and in those cases. You know, there's the right balance between 
you know, normally with these properties, there's a lot more wear and tear. Mm. You know, there's a lot more footfall. The tenants aren't, it's not you know, their responsibility to look after the environment very normally there's, there's, there's just clothes chucked over the floor. There's a few little, you know, uh, belongings, but it's not their permanent home, so they're not going to look after it. So the responsibility is on someone to keep on top of these properties. Mm. Um, and, if, and if that's not there, they they go so bad so quickly mm. and the condition of them um you know some of the ones i've been, have been uh, appalling Excellent. um yeah but the, the landlord would always say oh i've had a lease in place of you know there's one there was one in um in manchester that had circo in for i think seven years and the landlord said look i've got this property i renovated it as a hmo seven years ago I've had um, an FRI lease with Circo, or you know, do they do FRI or FRI? But, you know, but they've, yeah. they've had this kind of Circo are responsible for the maintenance yeah. and the upkeep of the property. We went in there; we had to sell it as a BMV doer upper. Really? Seven, yeah, that's a below was, market value property, basically. Yeah. Isn't it? For those who aren't familiar with the abbreviations, but yeah, yeah absolutely. Sorry. And, yeah, and yeah. the landlord, the landlord was expecting um, a yield based valuation based on it having private tenants going in and it uh, just be carry on because Serco would have been honoring what they were doing and they've been left alone for seven years. Why, why are they going to invest in a property that's, you know, they've, they've got too many properties. They've got lots of, they've got lots of moving parts. If you, if you don't keep on top of them and don't make your property top of the pile, you're going to be left and your property is going to be trashed. And we're talking sort of nearly no kitchen. It was, it was just unbelievable. Um, you know, wet concrete on the floor where there used to be tiles or lino or, you know, just, and then all of a sudden the landlord's looking at it thinking, well, my property's gone down in value by a hundred grand over, the, over those seven years. Because so, that landlord handed over a good quality property yeah. that hasn't been maintained, hasn't been looked after. Mm. Yeah, because you're dealing with, uh, or we talked about at the beginning, there isn't any capitalization, There isn't any sort of sink funds for maintenance and ongoing repair and you do it very, some very of these organizations aren't there i think that's something you know and i i hear i can hear people screaming listening to this richard saying this oh, my organization doesn't do it like this my organization really looks after the property and i think yeah. you know obviously we need to balance it out and and make sure you know i'm sure you also see good experiences of amazingly looked after properties i know i've been into them but i think it's just it's really interesting this this experience that you've had because obviously we're talking about some of our most vulnerable people in society living in really really sub you know below what optimum accommodation you know unsafe horrible accommodation by yeah. the sounds of it um and what what do you think um what should so in, in that landlord who'd handed over that property he thought he'd got a seven-year lease on it he'd handed over his nice property i imagine he was expecting at the end of the seven years to have his property returned to him in a similar mm. condition because that's that's what everyone expects isn't it if you've got a commercial lease well, from, a, from a landlord's point of view um when i mentioned before about the, about the rent to rent side as well which has um caused a lot of in, uh, issues in the industry because it, it it pulls on the strings of a kind of tired landlord and it pulls on, it, you know, it plays on that uh, kind of, look, you've found it hard to deal with these tenants, to deal with phone calls in the evening. Here's our offer of guaranteed rent. You might get a little bit less, but you've got no headaches. Mm. That seems to be enough to, to, to make landlords commit to a rent-to-rent contract or, or a long lease contract mm. without doing a standard amount of due diligence on either side. So, you know, if, if, if you're a landlord looking at thinking, well, I, might, I may consider a long lease with a, with a provider of some sort, 
perfectly entitled to ask to go and have a look at some of their existing properties, perfectly entitled to build a relationship and start to do some, you know, due diligence about well, what are the properties like on handover after the, after the term? What actually, where are we at? What maintenance are you going to do? What's my responsibility? What's yours? Because nothing is hands off, you know, and if, and if you go in without a proper heads of terms and without everything absolutely ironed out, someone's going to lose, you know, and usually the individual small landlord over, over a larger company, you know, you're going to be, you're going to be handed a property back that, that isn't up to standard or vice versa from, from a different perspective. So I think due diligence at the very beginning and looking at the stock that they've already got and just having a little, you know, understanding of how the house is going to be run during that period of time. But then secondly, there are specialist managing agents out there that know they've got relationships with the providers and they're that bridge between the landlord and the provider and they charge a much reduced rate for management because it's obviously there's less involvement than dealing with five individual tenants that are coming and going. Mm. But paying a specialist company, you know, 5% of your rent just to sort of do third, three monthly checks and just to keep a rapport going and keep on top of the maintenance and make sure that everything's kind of, you're not building up to this bubble of issues when the lease ends. I think that it could be the best money you spend. Um, so, yeah, and there are lots of, lots of, I mean, I see lots of properties that have worked perfectly. Mm. Um, and it, I have to stress that I'm a sales agent for the, when people decide to sell their HMOs. So if a lease isn't working, I'm going to see it quicker than if a lease is working, mm. which, you know, means that I can flag up the, the, the warning signs and kind of, you know, say, look, you know, make sure you do a bit more due diligence or whatever it is. Mm. But I know of lots of landlords that have said to me, oh, I'm thinking of selling my HMO, but I've actually decided to keep the, the charity in place for another five years because it's the, they've just spent 10 grand on new fence. There's one example in Cardiff. They spent 10 grand on fencing. They, they had um, vulnerable women in this property. Mm. They pay for a new boiler, new fencing, did this, did the other. And the landlord said, I'd be a fool to let this lease go. Yeah. They've kept the property brilliantly. Mm. Um, so, you know, there is so much good uh, that they, you know, they, they, these tenants look after the properties. But, you know, someone needs to also highlight the fact that it isn't a kind of blanket guaranteed rent, guaranteed no problem sort of situation as well. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I, I, you saw me like nodding my head like anything when you were talking earlier about, about due diligence, about on the providers that you're signing a lease with, you're going into a, a contract with another business, you know, this really important, you know, who you who's leasing your property and you really, really get dig into that. And it's something I'm really passionate about is, is people knowing and doing all that research and asking those difficult questions. And I spend ages running through all of these with people to help them really get what it is that they need to be digging into and asking and understanding. Because... And for, for what I've said, it's not my area of expertise on, on that side of it, no, but, there, no. but there seems to be a real difference between are, is the person that's taken on the lease, are they just housing people? Mm. Are they just because there's a, there's a lack of housing for asylum seekers or for people leaving? Are they just solving the initial housing problem? And that's, that's their main and a lot of that's reflected in, you know, they might get £40 a week per room to the landlords, the very, very lower end. Mm. The, the, the ones that I see work the best is when there's actually a provider that cares, that is providing rehabilitation or has got a, a, has got a small local business plan for this particular reason, for this particular demographic. So then they're actually, they're not just housing someone. 
they kind of create nice environments for them to be in as well. Mm. And that, when I've seen that that's in place, usually they've got enough money because they're, they're able to earn more money as well because they're offering all of those extra services. That leaves more margin to keep property in good condition. Mm. You know, when I go to the properties where, you know, I get just use Circo as an example, but when they're paying £40 a room on a five-bed HMO, lower than LHA rate by 25% a lot of the time, you've got to look at the, where's the, that's just to literally put bums on seats. Where's the margin to actually keep this property, you know, up to spec and, mm. and to actually keep keep the property in a proud state of repair? Um, you know, and that, 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 it might not be as simple as that, but that's what it seems like to me. Yeah, I think I think you're right. And it's certainly um, looking at the scale of the organisation who's leasing. And I think that's what you're saying there, you know, is looking at those small little local charities who are really passionate about what they're doing, really understand their area and their community versus some of the big at scale ones. Obviously, not all the at scale ones are evil, but, you know, it's sort of just looking at actually how are they delivering that support as well as the property management and maintenance. And, And that's all part of your due diligence, isn't it? It's really understanding who's in the properties, who's keeping an eye on them, who's keeping an eye on the individuals and supporting them. And that all feeds into how well your property is going to be looked after. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And to go back to what we said about the the first question where there are developers that are creating properties that suit those lower-end, lower-end leases, if you like, with, you know, less bells and whistles, less rent collected. And you can cater a product. You can start to understand the wear and tear areas you know, you cannot start to understand the amenity standards and, and what type of features and fittings and, you know, go into these properties to make over a five-year period that the wear and tear and the damage and the, the fall off in quality, it's not going to really, really affect it. But mm. the, uh, it, it, it's, it becomes a bigger issue if um, you've got somebody who's developed a HMO uh, and, and they're going out for that kind of relatively higher-end HMO finish and they get sold a care lease that's going to be a hands-off and they're mm. paying relatively okay rent, and then that's not looked after. You've got all ensuite bathrooms, you've got you know lots of plumbing, you've got lots of you know, lots of electrical points, you've got USB points, you've got expensive furniture, you know, expensive kitchens. If that gets doesn't get looked after, you know, that's a big pill to swallow for these landlords to think, well, I've created this HMO, maybe their first plan wasn't a supported living lease, but they've because there's this juggernaut of kind of, you know, guaranteed, it's easy, it's more stress-free, then their property goes into a situation where it's not being looked after and they can't control it. That's 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 quite a bad situation, you know. Um, and again, it's, it, it, it probably falls on the landlord. They need to do more due diligence. And I think the industry needs to accept that, just like with rent to rent, there are risks renting to supported living providers, just as a risk renting in the private sector. And it's all based around some are good, some are bad, hopefully more are good than bad, but ask questions, speak to people. And, you know, I think I would encourage people to speak to landlords that have come out of the end of a term and had their property handed back. How did the, how did that provide a deal with, you know, having to put money in to put it into the standard that, that, that it was going in? What, what, what kind of disagreements were there around maintenance and you know, um, upkeep of the property during that tenure, what actually did the property look like when it was handed back? You know, if you could speak to a few landlords on exit who have actually gone through the full cycle, um, but because it's quite a new industry, there's a lack of landlords that have experienced a full cycle. 
Definitely. When you're looking at 570 Elises, there's, yeah, there's not many around that have, have seen that. But you're right, that's really, really good, valuable advice. Have you seen much experience of landlords actually being able to, um, you know, when you've maybe gone into those situations, seen a property that's in a terrible state that should, you know, was handed over in good condition? How successful have landlords been in actually managing to, you know, get that, re- you know, sorted out and the provider actually tidy it up and put it back into the state it was when they took the lease over? Um usually when it's at that stage they end the lease and just mm. and, and, and kind of take the property back because it's it's just a situation that's not going to be rescued really we've we get um and the same as rent to rent there's a, there's a little bit of similarity when a supported living lease goes in place when they work they're great and when if a land they suit landlords that are looking to keep and hold them so you know if if you own a hmo and you know you do want to have, a, have it more hands off, you know, have somebody in there for the long term. And particularly now with energy bills increasing, you know, worries over council tax banding, things like that. It is, it, it is an attractive solution to put a lease in place and say, I'm getting £1,500 a month. That's my net. That's it. That's great. So it means you don't dip below that. And it's, you know, so it's attractive, but it only works if you're deciding to keep that property over that tenure. Because if you took that property to me to sell, loan to value changes, mortgageability changes, the value of the property quite often goes down with these leases in place because the buyer demand and the buyer appetite to buy them with the leases active is lower. Mm. So, you know, they're, they're, they're popular for tired landlords as a solution. But when we take them to the market for sale, then you're trying to deal with excitable buyers that want to get into the HMO world. If you're saying, well, this one's got a care lease in place or a sport living lease, most of the terminology and the letters that go out on social media with people trying to put leases in, it's, are you a tired, struggling landlord? Do you want a solution to your problems? So when we take that to a sale, the normally our buyers say, well, what's wrong with the property? Why has it got a lease in place? What, what, what made the landlord get to the point where they got tired enough to, to, to sign mm-hmm. a long lease? Yeah, yeah. So the desirability of the product goes down, even if the value doesn't change. The, the, the surveyors you know, are catching up better. There's more products out there, but for a long time, it was almost cash buyers only with these leases in place. Mm. Um, a lot so, of surveyors still don't understand that they get downvalued, you know, yeah. Downvalued all the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was told I'd ruined a property by one surveyor. That was a lovely conversation. Yeah. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, but you need, but people need to know. So if, if you've got, and I, I, I did um, a chat with some HMO developers last month about it. If you've got, if you put that lease in place, and you're happy to keep the property for five years, then the lease works and you've got a good provider, keep on top of them and, and the marriage works perfectly. If at any time during that five-year period, you want to realise the best sale value for that HMO, you probably need to be serving notice on the lease, getting vacant possession and putting professional tenants in on ASTs or working tenants in because the buyer appetite for a standard HMO with standard ASTs with tenants that they can relate to there's a still rightly or wrongly a stigma attached to you know asylum or homelessness or alcohol whatever it is if you've you've got a large portion of the buyer types that won't engage or they don't understand those type of properties it's mm. very much it's very much suits um got the dog agrees with me sorry i know i was just <laughs> I thinking know. i need to pause this and go and stop the dog but what you're saying oh, you're in big flow. It, 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 it very much suits tired landlords wanting a solution for the long term. Mm. 
but it's 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 really a, a big point to consider that during that tenure where that lease is active, you might get better net income. You might have less headaches on a day-to-day basis with that property, but your value of that property is probably lower during the during the time that lease is active. In most cases, mm. but most people think that signing a lease increases the value. Most yeah. people think as soon as you put a lease in place, you can get eight percent sale price when normally in non cash is 12% or whatever it is. And, it, and it's just not the case unless you're doing volume or unless you're doing these, these long leases that go out to the reeds and things. So um, yeah, I find that really interesting. Mm, no, absolutely. And obviously that comes down to the due diligence on the provider. If you've got a quality provider in that can increase the value and, you know, it's all of that feeds into it, doesn't it? But really interesting that that's your perception of, you know, not your perception, your actual experience of, of selling them on and, and what you found. There've been so many great bits of advice in here. And, you know, is, is there anything else you think people need to think about or be aware of? I mean, you've peppered the whole episode with, with great bits of advice for people, but is there anything else that you think people need to think about? Well, I, ju- I just think it's, um, it will settle down. The bad will be found out and the good will remain. And it's, it's, I've watched it, you know, over the time I've been in property, there was same day remortgaging, you know, there was people training got, you know, you can, you know, buy 25% below value, you can remortgage on the same day and you've got a no money down property. That was that went like wildfire at the time. And then that stopped. And then sale and rent back was a big thing. That went like wild lease options. And unfortunately, supported living's been wrapped up in that same thing. So sale and rent back used to affect the very vulnerable homeowners mm. that they needed to pay their debts off, but they didn't want to leave their house. Mm. So you could go in and lowball them, do a same day remortgage to keep them in the property. So these strategies always affect the most vulnerable people because yeah. people make money from teaching property strategies. That's the problem. Yeah. And we've watched over these last few years, supported living is it's, it's now a trendy popular strategy. So you're going to get the people, the same scrupulous characters that were doing the training on no money down, lease options, everything's on the investors side. Yeah. Nothing nothing is ever on the vulnerable side on the actual people that this is affecting and the properties that i'm seeing it's the same situation the money is leaving the people that are monetizing every single aspect of the supported living and taking millions billions out of the industry and there's a lack of funding at the bottom end that's that's going to get hopefully found out and settled down and you know in three or four years time the Facebook forums of property will be full of some other strategy. Yeah. And hopefully supported living will just be the good ones and be left. <laughs> that would be cool, wouldn't it? Yeah, because yeah. it, it, it's just, it, it, you know, it, it's, it was just a kind of, it was a cat, it's a catnip situation. Everyone's addicted to this new supported living thing that's coming up. Everyone wants to get involved in it. Everyone wants to, you know, and um, so therefore the amount of unscrupulous characters is, is there as well same as forex same as crypto it's yeah. fallen into that category and it's not about that it's about people mm. um, it's so, people, isn't it? yeah mm. richard yeah. thank you that's been really really helpful we'll Good. drop your contact details into the show notes so if people want to reach out to you then they can they can find you there so thank you very so much no Bye. enjoy it bye. Bye. bye take care see ya thank you for listening to this episode today My new website is live now and I'd love you to take a look at it. You can find it at www.lisabrown.uk. It has some great resources, including a free guide to supported living property for you to download.